Good morning. I'm Carol Ottschacht. This is Walt Schacht, and we would like to visit with you a little bit about the Spring Fellowship trips, our history, why we do them, uh, why they're important, and how they deepen fellowship for us here at First Presbyterian Church. So back in 2006, it seems like so long ago, doesn't it? Way before COVID, and imagine what you were doing at that time. And First Church at that point was going through a renewal period. And of course, we do that cyclically, right? And the renewal period we called appreciative inquiry. And it was a process. Um, some people loved it. Some people were had misgivings about it. It was an interesting opportunity for our church. But it was a time to look at what were all the positives that we were experiencing in our congregation, in our fellowship, in our worship, in our study, that we wanted to continue going forward. And then once we had determined that as a congregation, then we wanted to find what were more things we could do that we already found great joy in. So that's when we first started talking about the Spring Fellowship trip. Can you believe it? That long ago. And our first trip, uh, and, and it actually got assigned to the what was called the Fellowship and Evangelism Committee at that time. And I think it's care of members now, or there's various iterations of that group. But it, it has to do with us as a congregation and how we grow together more, how we fellowship more together. So uh, at that point in time, I was actually, I think, the chair, and I can see a whole lot of other folks that have led that group or were on that group with us. But we recruited Walt to join us, and it was really a timely experience because he had so many contacts across the state with his work at the university. And so over the years, he's been able to take us onto private ranches, to federal land, um, state land, places that some of us might be able to go for work, but not all of us would be able to go because you really need an invitation uh, to be able to go and visit these places. And that's what we've been able to do on the Spring Fellowship trip. So when Walt joined us, it was really exciting because then he agreed that he would start that. And we quickly had two other leaders who joined us, and that was Nate and Julie Van Meter. And it's been a joyful process for us every year since. Well, there was one year we were in Namibia, and, and Nate and Julie did it on their own. But where we uh, began to figure out where would the greatest places be in the state of Nebraska. Many of the places we visited have been in the, in the sand hills. And the opportunity for us was not just to go see and, and visit with people, but that's an important piece. Really, it's about that deepening of our fellowship, that connecting, not just as a congregation and as friends, but becoming a family. So on our trips, they're usually three days long, although we did a four-day one when we went way out to Fort Robinson in that area, and that was pretty spectacular too. But typically, they're three days, the third weekend in May. We drive in a caravan, 
and we bring some of our own food, but then we also go and we visit restaurants locally. We stay locally. So we contribute to the local population. Um, when we have our worship service, I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute, we then do a collection and then that goes to contribute to different projects and different uh, individuals who have given to us on our trip. And it's a great way for us to be able to give back to them for the ways that they have served us. So um, I think I'm done with my part. I'm gonna hand it off to Walt, but I wanted to say that uh, Nate and Julie have just been extraordinary partners for us. Um, I do a lot of the logistical stuff, the organizing, and, and a lot of the praying on the trip has kind of, kind of fallen to me. Julie has taken on what I think is uh, the largest and the most important role, um, and that is to create our worship service. So the worship service that you're going to see today is something that she has put together for us all of these years, and it never ceases to really touch deeply our hearts. So, well. Yes, good morning. Um, of course, so the question is, how do we decide where we go each year? We've, uh, this, this last one was our 13th. So we got that one behind us. We got the unlucky 13th one. But it was, it was a great trip. But the question is, how do we decide where, where to go? Um, each year we have gone to some corner of Nebraska, or heart of Nebraska, different up until this year. This year, our second spring fellowship trip was uh, in the Niobrara area, Niobrara, Nebraska area. And this year, we returned there um, because it is such a beautiful location. There's so much to do. And it's good to come back 10, 12 years later and see what's, see what's changed, see what, see what the place looks like. So we always select sites then that have, primarily we're looking for a lot of scenic beauty that uh, have some real interesting natural and human history and that provide examples of what people are doing now in using our natural resources, our land. And so uh, Niobrara definitely, definitely provides that. And the themes for this year's trip, which we don't necessarily bring out to everybody and make sure everybody memorizes it before we go on the trip, but the themes this year I think we're quite evident, uh, northeastern Nebraska having quite a bit of topography and beautiful landscapes. We, we focused on, on streams and rivers, um, two of the most beautiful streams, nat still natural streams in Nebraska, it's Vertig or Verdigree Creek and then Bazil Creek. And uh, we stopped at uh, both of those locations with, uh, in, to, in this case, both uh, state um, employees, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, people that work on both uh, uh, private and public lands. And uh, we, visited, we visited with them on, uh, on both those creeks on Friday and Saturday. And then of course we, uh, being in the Niobrara area, we also stopped uh, on the Niobrara River at a scenic overlook with a, with a landowner. And then, um, we also, being in the eastern part of the state, there's a lot of a Native American history and culture, and so we were fortunate to be able to uh, stop and visit the uh, 
tribal grounds for the, uh, the Ponca tribe, and also then uh, stop at, on the reservation of the Santee Sioux and uh, visited, visited with uh, natives, saw what their uh, programs are and what, and what they are doing. I think probably one of the most uh, touching moments spiritually was when we were at the Ponca tribal grounds and we went up the hill overlooking uh, the Niobrara Valley and uh, that's where the uh, uh, chief standing bear bronze is, is standing, one of, one of three. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really uh, a, a spiritual moment for all of us to talk about what, what the Ponca tribe has gone through, who, who chief standing bear was and is and uh, what they're doing, uh, what they're doing currently. So um, those were the two main themes, but all of this, and then land use again, we did stop both with, uh, with a farmer and a rancher during our trip, visited, visited with them, and it's always amazing to me to see how easily we get in a conversation with a rancher. You know, when you have 40 or 50 people show up out in your pasture or field or at your home site and the rancher or a farmer aren't necessarily real conversant or um, have commonly talked with large groups of people. We bring out our chairs, we plunk down, we sit down and uh, within minutes there's a conversation going with, with the rancher and farmer and uh, it's, 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 it's a great, great thing to see. And with all of this, of course, there's a real uh, fellowship is rampant through it all, right? It's the common thread, common thread through it, through the day as we travel from uh, stop to stop, as well as uh, during our meals, whether we're eating at a small restaurant, Green Gables, in the middle of nowhere, north of, um, north of Orchard, or we're at a more established restaurant like the Two Rivers Restaurant in uh, in uh, Nibrera, or at the bakery, Kalachi Bakery in Verdigree in the morning. So throughout the time we're, we're interacting with each other, sharing, and you know, I love cribbage, I love to play cards, but there's a group, there's a subgroup in our group that are cribbage crazy, right? <laughs> we can just stop for a moment to buy kolaches and go to the city park to, have, to eat the kolaches, and there's a group of their men playing cribbage. And every time, every time there's a moment, stop, out comes the cribbage boards. So that seems to be something that brings at least, a, like I said, a subgroup of us together. I um, encourage you all to uh, come, try it. We, we used to have a real fast pace and uh, now that I'm approaching 70, I'm realizing, you know, having a stop, having a series of stops for only an hour and always running late uh, kind of wears on people. And so uh, we're slowed down a little bit, a little bit, not a lot. But uh, so we, we encourage all of you to at least try it, at least try it once. And uh, next year, as Carol said, be the third week of May. Um, we're looking at the uh, middle part of the Sandhills where we'll look at you know, go to fins, um, do some tanking. We've never, we've visited a lot of creeks and rivers, but we've never been on one. But next year we hope to, uh, to uh, tank a, the middle loop, the upper middle loop. So we hope, 
we hope to see all of you uh, see all of you there. So that'll be the third week of May. Okay. So with that brief inter well semi brief introduction, we'll continue with uh, sorry Julie with the worship service. We're now going to have a collection of readings um, on the topic of joy and reclaiming our joy. In the last three years since the 2019 fellowship trip, it's really been something. A pandemic raged and we were often left to face it and fight it alone. The world continued to spin, but our worlds became very small and normal no longer existed. We all had to learn new ways to do everyday things. <clears throat> like grocery shop online, work from home, and worship remotely. We also were forced to struggle with the big issues, illness, death, and isolation, without our normal support systems of friends and family, without fellowship. While many of us introverts joked that we'd been preparing for this moment our entire lives, the rapid and extreme shift from being part of a vibrant in-person community to sudden aloneness was a shock. We are not the same people we were before COVID. The world is not the same. We saw wonderful examples of selfless acts, of people putting the good of the whole above their individual needs. But we also saw too many examples of the exact opposite, of me first, I'll get mine, and suggestions that others were a danger to our safety simply due to their otherness. Selfishness, greed, and abuses of power started to almost feel normal. It has all been draining, emotionally and physically. The degree to which each of us has been changed may vary, but we have all been impacted. Generally speaking, anxiety and depression seem to be on the rise, and the continued fear of what's coming ne next haunts many of us. Many of us are functioning in survival mode. We may be high-functioning survivors, but I often hear people speak in terms of being mentally exhausted and just trying to get through the day. That is not a sustainable way to live. As we started planning the 2022 fellowship trip, I spoke with some of you, and I kept hearing the same words of anticipation and joy from the trippers. It suggested that not only has this trip been a really meaningful and important event in people's lives, but it is now acting as a source of hope, of anticipated joy, of a normal life. Joy is defined as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. That sounds really nice. When was the last time you felt real joy? What is preventing you from finding your joy? And how can we recapture that feeling? It starts with little steps like our fellowship trip. Here you are surrounded by your faith, by your faith community, by people that care about you and can support you. And this is, this is an opportunity to find your joy. A reading by Annie Lamott called Plan B, Further Thoughts on Faith. My pastor Veronica said yesterday that God constantly tells us to rejoice. But to do that, to get our joyce back, we need to have had joy before. And it's never been as needed as badly as now when the world is hurting so badly because joy is medicine. New Testament book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23. But the fruit 
of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. A reading by Patricia H. Livingston, This Blessed Mess, Deepening Our Joy. On my list of valuable activities for dealing with chaos, keeping an eye out for goodness is followed immediately by the practice of deepening our joy. The energy of joy has great power for creation. I began to think about the need to deepen joy during the period I have mentioned some years ago when my parents were both very ill, dying within a few months of each other. In those hard times, it seemed more important than ever to open up to joy. In our family, we definitely did not have any to waste. I had begun to be aware of the importance of joy as a result of something my son Randy said one day. Growing up, he said, was the original, he was the original free spirit. There was no predicting what he might do or say laughing, taking on the world, Randy rushed headlong into life and as a result ended up in the army in the Gulf War. He came in from work one afternoon, the summer after he got back, and was talking to me about a person who was really getting on his nerves, an arrogant, insensitive person. He's really getting to me, Mom, he said in a furious tone. When Randy is angry, he has a kind of fierce, glowering aura that takes up the whole room. Then he stopped himself and laughed. I'm going to stop thinking about this. It's just the devil trying to steal my joy. I was stunned. That amazing sentence has stayed with me ever since. I've become more and more aware of times since then that I have felt the forces of the dark, which would be one translation of the devil, resentment and panic and broken hope, moving in to quell my joy. It has been a very useful awareness. I have learned from his example to try to guard against the theft of my joy. Philosopher Leon Blois said, Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. I love the wording of that. It explains to me why guarding it is so important. Why it would be exactly what the devil would try to steal. We need to protect the infallible sign of the presence of God from the enormous forces of disheartening inside of us and outside of us. Terrible things happen to us in our lives. Chaos comes, broken bones and broken hearts, failure and angst, sometimes dreadful news in the middle of the night. It is hard work not letting the dark overtake us. Patricia Livingston goes on to say, Convinced of its importance, I work 
at opening more to joy. I try to savor moments of beauty, of laughter, of unexpected kindness. I try not to focus on everything I fear, on everything that bothers me, or on all that could go wrong. And to celebrate every time there's cause. This is wallow time, a friend told me at the hospital after receiving the news that the cancer was gone. Wallow time, I asked, puzzled. It was an expression of my grandfather, she explained. He had a farm in the Tennessee mountains, raised a lot of pigs. He taught me this, life has hard times and good times. In the hard times, hang on. In the good times, wallow. When you get good news, this good, it is pure and simple wallow time. So wallow. Celebrate. Do things you look forward to with people you love and pass it on. Pass on the joy. From Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Another reading for today comes from Lucy Swindoll and her words on the joyful journey. Charles Kuralt said, the good memories are all of stopping and staying a while. I realize I've always driven too fast through life, carrying in my baggage too much impatience and apprehension, missing too many chances, passing too many good people in the dust. At times on life's journey, taking the scenic route is exactly what is needed to rejuvenate our harried, frazzled spirits. We have driven the freeway and taken the predictable path long enough. We're tired. We need to leave our impatience and apprehension behind us and try something new. Refreshment comes when we do this. It's true that the journey can often become less than joyful. We've had it. We've had it with the kids. We've had it with our job. We've had it with our loved ones. We've had it with life. All the joy is gone. When you reach this state of mind, you need to change your scenery. Take a break. I don't mean you have to run away from home, although you might consider that. Nor do you have to board a plane bound for a foreign land. You don't even have to get in your car. Don't let the beaten path you travel daily beat you down. If you want to see new sights, hear different sounds, speak refreshing words, leave your baggage of fear, regret, guilt, and disappointment behind you and say, I'm out of here. I'm going to try another way of getting to joy. This new version may seem scary or strange to you, but don't let that stop you. From Romans 15, verse 32. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. Thanks for joining us at First Presbyterian Church, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or find us on Facebook.